0: Hey, welcome to The Extra Podcast. My name's Daniel. I'm here with Paul Siemens. Hey. And (laughs) I'm here with Greg Harris. Thank you. And Jeff Bucknam.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) Do you know, it's funny. There's already been kind of a Krusty the Clown theme at the beginning of it with the little honking horn. And Uh, and 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 I I said, hey. hey." Yeah. (laughs) Paul's introduction. Who's
2: Who's Krusty the Clown? (laughs) Oh. <laughs>
1: <Hey>! Really? No. <laughs> you don't know? You watch The Simpsons? No, what? No, he was... Simpsons.
2: What is this? I don't Are know. Are you guys even Christians? You can watch When I was a kid, when
1: I was a kid, when I when Simpsons first came out, it was like, what is that? In the early, like 30 early years n- ago. No, the early 90s, I think. Yeah, 30 years ago. So, Just that's about 30 I know. years ago. Almost. Yeah, millennial math. Thanks, buddy. So early 90s. No, it was like matter. 89. It's, it might as well have been 100. Was, I think it was 89. <laughs> if it was early 90s, it was like
2: 20, it was like 30. 28 years yeah, ago, 30. 27 years ago. So, oh.
3: where did The Simpsons inri- originate, Jeff? Springfield. What show? No, no, no. It wasn't The no, Simpsons. No, I don't know. It started on it? was The Tracy Ullman Show. What? Oh, on no. Fox. And it was this short thing, and it was all about Bart and Bart yeah, it was with Bart his man, skateboard. and, and, else, yeah. and yeah. Really? And Don't Have a Cow Man and all that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And then it got funny when they transferred it to being more focused on Homer yeah. and his antics.
1: So, When I was young, though, uh, 30 or 40 years ago, according to you, Greg, just relax. and it started, uh, it was like if you were a Christian and you watched The Simpsons, that was uh Oof. That was a horrible thing to do. And then in the last like five years, there have been people who've written books called the Gospel according to the Simpsons.
2: There's a college course in The Simpsons.
1: There is not. There is. Can you I get learned a this morning that Daniel's sister is getting a minor in creativity at her freaky college in the midwest of the US. True story is I think it's a true story. No, she's gonna major in aesthetics. Well, today she put some pink tape on a trophy. And she said that <laughs> <laughs> is it's a minor. Does it more? <laughs> she said it's a minor. She did. She came up. She put a pink tape on a trophy and said, "This is a this is this is a creativity project for my minor." Oh yeah. gosh.
2: Hey, so the first air date of The Simpsons (laughs) was uh, September seventeenth, nineteen eighty nine. Wow, twenty eight years old. Eighty nine, yes. The last air date. It's still going, and six hundred and eighteen episodes for The Simpsons. Good for them.
0: Speaking of air dates, Greg, I just want to say what a what a privilege it is to be sitting around this podcast table with you guys. Because I've been listening to this podcast since episode one. What was it
3: called? Groundhog Day.
0: I don't know. Is that what it's called? I don't know.
3: The Simpsons are older than Daniel.
1: Yeah. The, the, That's
3: pretty... Back in the day when we started this to podcast, to it, was, back to uh,
1: <laughs> it was just a few guys around a microphone.
0: Just having a little... Just staring a
1: deeply into that microphone. Still the highlight. Chris Ross looking straight in that microphone like it was going to eat him. Having a conversation.
2: The University of Glasgow offers a one-day, four-credit course in The Simpsons.
1: Hmm. And what website is that, if you're interested?
2: Uh, time... time magazine reported it so
1: time magazine reported that yeah
0: Uh, slow news day i guess yeah Mm
2: -hmm. there's another one though i've heard about this for a while anyways this isn't good radio
0: and we are committed to good radio here on the extra podcast 308 episodes of it we're almost at simpsons territory that's right we only have 310 only 30 more years to go But gentlemen, it is good to be around this table. We were discussing in in our pre-production meeting that... uh, (laughs) That's what we call it? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Our extensive production meeting. Mm -hmm. That uh, we were discussing sermon notes. And, you know, other podcasts have been discussing this and it's been making the rounds Mm -hmm. that uh, Tim Keller, his uh, sermon notes made it out on the internet. Mm -hmm. And they apparently just look like gibberish. They're a bit old news though. They've been out for a while, haven't they? I've, I think I saw those years ago. No,
3: I've never, I've just never seen them. I don't know. You haven't seen them? I'm not too worried they're t- they're about them. They're large. They're
1: one page, and they have like arrows on them, and uh, a few little. He's got letters that are code for him. Uh, okay. He's yeah. got like it's, it's basically something that you had to, like Bletchley Circles would ha- would be have to, have to solve it. Remember Bletchley Circle, the World War II when they solved the. What's that code? Oh, Enigma Machine. The enigma Machine. Yeah, it's more or you less. You need to have something so like Tim that. Tim
0: Keller is an Enigma. Oh, is that what that movie was Paradox, about? Paradox wrapped in Enigma. Wow. Yeah, it's something. The, I don't know, like British that. The British guy. The reason, gentlemen, the reason I brought it up is because, you know, the All people right. want to know, what do your sermon notes look like when you get up there on stage and you're standing in front of everyone? What is on the paper?
3: Um, well, I'll go first. Mine, generally, I type out... So I, I go through what I want to say in my head and I type it all out like in a manuscript form and then, but I don't really use it as a manuscript. I, I just use then uh, what I've written down and I, I glance down once in a while because I have it in my head. So I'm able to go back and, and see. So I just...
2: Oh, to be in your head.
1: Oh, I know. That would be... Well,
2: I know. his
3: manuscript is. Okay. That's basically what his head
1: is like. Yeah. <laughs> Great, so How That's do you generally
3: do what I do.
2: Uh, I have, uh, I've kind of adopted a version of your notes, actually, mm. Jeff, you did. Why don't you talk about yours first, then I'll
1: tell. Okay. Uh, I've I've done, in my years of preaching, all the different kinds. I've, manu- well, manuscripted once, and then I thought that was the worst thing ever. Mm. Uh, so I don't, didn't do that. And then I've preached without notes several times, which is a lot more fun. More for me than anyone else, though. <laughs> sort of stream of consciousness stuff. I mean, kind of know where I'm going, but whatever. Uh, and now I use a, I use an, I use an outline. It usually is two pages long. It's uh, detailed enough to keep me on track. Um, I, I'll, I will print out all the quotes that I will have. I, the scripture is actually on my notes. I will print out the scripture so that I'm looking at my notes when I'm reading the scripture. I don't really use my notes that much, though. I might. I'm trying to think. I probably look down other than the quotes and stuff. I might look down probably three or four times in the sermon. Do you try and memorize the rough pattern of yep. where you're going? Yeah, I just memorize the outline, or at least in my mind to know where I'm going in each in each little section uh, of, of the outline. But there's a lot of high, mine, mine has a lot of highlighted for the illustrations and the quotes and stuff. Those are highlighted, uh, whereas the others are not. Greg, I think, uses a multicolor. I do. I only do yellow highlights. Yeah, Greg does like Greg also five. has a minor in creativity. Yeah,
2: I actually I'm going to try to get one now. <laughs> if that's all it takes. I'm going to see if I can add to my arsenal. Just like, submit your notes. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, this should f- count. Four colors. Right that's there. amazing. The contrast is. I mean. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of do a mix of these guys. Uh, it's more my notes look more y, but I'll I typically will type out my transition statements and main points and that kind of stuff. I won't read them from the stage but I'll type it out and then I I color code my notes so that it's uh, blue is like a teaching point oh don't give it all away
3: no they can people want to know
2: people people are going to like green is like a transition Mm. yellow is an illustration and red is usually like an application condemnation is a stop red
1: is red is it's time to go yell that's the yell application
2: question what do you think that kind of stuff oh yeah and it's usually I at this point, I'm usually about ten minutes a page. Is
1: about how I'm going. <laughs> cool. Oh, I'm like fifteen to twenty page. <laughs> so it's getting longer. So my, I, pa- my pages. Totally but right. I
3: have to say, Jeff, your notes are like single spaced and yeah, I don't really know low. five point font. It's <laughs> very.
1: They're ten. It's very. They are small. small, and I use Arial Narrow font. <laughs> yeah. I just don't want to have that many papers up there. Yeah. Okay. So I we we knew a guy who used to preach. Uh, and, and he, well, he still does preach, but he preached here for a little while. He used to have sections of his notes where he would, he would include little phrases to himself on how, how he should like, s- like speak. So some of those are good. Like pause here is helpful, but sometimes he'd I say yell, like there'd be a little thing that says yell here. Yeah. Or smiley faces. So, or smile here. Smile so like if he that. forgot, would he just go, ah! Oh, and, well, I, oh wait, I, That's not what I meant. I kept making it, I to, <laughs> he gets loud. Oh, there's the wrong line. I used to teach, I used to tease him and, and say, what if you go past the smiley part? And you go back and say, oh, just a second. Before we go on, let me just smile. smile.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, but there, there is no
2: like science no. behind the perfect notes. I, it's probably you just gotta find yeah exactly find what works
3: yeah, yeah. different people find comfortable. I don't find like the I, I don't, different types.
1: I think that Whatever. just just in the realm of public speaking, I think that manuscripting is although although very accurate and that's why people like it right because they they can control what they say at every moment. So in a political speech, that's great. But I, I think that if you do a straight manuscript and you read it for the most part, I, I think. It, it lacks a certain kind of unction Do you, mm. you know what I mean like, like it lacks an in the momentness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, now there are some people like John Piper he does he manuscripts. that's why he's able to publish so many books because he just turns his manuscripts into books but he's by no
0: means boring to listen to No but his
3: hands are not watching the manuscript but his the, hands are way up here <laughs> but the best parts of John Piper's right uh, stuff
1: is when he's not manuscripted. Like I like the stuff that is the most memorable, the most are the moments that he he diverges from the manuscript uh, is when I think he gets that, and again, he's also just he's a big ball of passion, that guy. Mm-hmm. so if you've got that, then I would recommend that, sure that do that, but for the most part, we try to get whoever's training here, we try to teach get them off their off their manuscripts.
0: And then one day you get to Andy's level? And go no notes. Yeah, you just don't even pay attention to. The, yeah, and, whatever you're saying is right.
2: A- Andy has, been, <laughs> a- Andy's actually done really well with the noteless. I've been I've been quite happy with his noteless preaching. You I, tried I, noteless. I, I, I tend to like Andy less in writing than in person in general. It's just wow, a, it's just a dig for no reason. He's not even here to defend himself. That was a low blow. <laughs> I have tried noteless. I'm not good noteless. I don't think that's true. Well. We'll agree and disagree. Although yeah. there is there is a sort of a, a free fall effect to stepping up and public speaking notes. Oh yeah. You're just like where you're well, like, oh man, if I forget what passage I'm in or yeah, well, what's going on, it's gonna be uh, yeah. bad
1: news. Also, what do you do with your hands? You can do you know, you can do the noteless stuff if Thanks. you're just walking through uh, I like I, I do noteless teaching basically yep. in a classroom. And it's the same thing. You just, you, it's what I'd call midrashing, where you you're just kind of walking through a passage of scripture. That's why there are a lot of the guys like you know years ago, Mark Driscoll was like that, and I think Mark Clark probably did. I don't think he uses notes either. But I, I, a lot of guys don't use it because the, the style of their preaching is more of a we're just going to take every phrase and and kind of expound on it here and there, and might be a story mixed. Together with this or that, and that's a good way to preach. It's just it, yeah. If you have any kind, of, if you have any kind of real structure, sometimes you need to have yeah. it written down.
2: Daniel, oh.
0: you've preached a few times. Yeah. What do you use? I try, and I don't try manuscript at all. I think I do more kind of what you do, Jeff. Hmm. I took a photo of yours one time, and I mm. said, "Here, that, that's it? helpful." Yeah. Framed framing? it and every sermon he's
1: Laminated. preached since has sounded exactly like that sermon. It's mm. weird. Weird. Yeah. Strange. <laughs>
0: Anyways, uh, no, but I try and, uh, I try and minimize my notes as much as possible. So I'll, I'll make, uh, like a note sheet and then I'll, afterwards I'll go through and try and shorten each one, the yep. phrase. And, oh,
2: you have a n- note sheet for your note sheet. No, I do yeah. the
0: same thing on my notes. Actually,
1: as I go through my notes, I usually have an editing phase where I go through oh. and I get rid of all sorts of fr- just, cl- clunky like, fr- Just mm-hmm. I just make it as simple and str- as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you mean you're erasing content or you're yeah. erasing... Dude, I think that the, one of the problems with preaching is that people, try tr- they try to say too much. Yeah, And so, yeah, oftentimes I'll go through, even here at Northview on Saturday nights, I'll preach and I'll be like, <clears throat> well, that part was either ill, it was poorly placed in the sermon, right? And I think it needs to be in a different location. Mm. Or I'll just think, you know, it's superfluous. I've already said it. It doesn't need to be there. It's not adding anything to it. Whatever, I'll get rid of it. There's there are people come to Northview on Saturday and they they call it they call it Jeff Buckham raw. Uh, they've met me and told me that we like coming Saturday because it's raw. You know it's. He you wears a leather jacket. You're going to include stage. everything. Oh, two, uh, yeah, leather boots, jacket, cigarette, yeah. unspotlight,
0: uncensored. uncensored. Hey, this is a few thoughts I have. <laughs>
1: good
2: good no. sermon should have Back good content. <laughs> edited on the floor, though, right? Like oh, mo- most good sermons have stuff that would be a really good point to make, but instead for this sermon it just needs to stay in the waste bucket. So Howard Hendricks, bucket. who's
1: one of the best teachers I've ever met uh, from Dallas Seminary, he he said that that uh, the art of good preaching or teaching is leaving things out. He's, mm. I think he's right that you have to that it's, at some point you have to decide <clears throat> what to eliminate in order to make make it clear, and a lot of people don't do that. And I I mean I'd commend that to teachers and anyone else in any kind of like public presentation sort of work. You need to streamline your work because less is very much more, um, when it comes to that. If if you, if you have a good illustration, just that, that one's enough. You don't need five more. Uh, if you have a, unless you're trying to overwhelm people with an, an idea as to how, this looks in real life, that kind of stuff. You should give more illustrations. But but for the most part, people understand a lot earlier than you think they do, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That that they, they're smarter than you give them credit for. And then you meet occasionally the person who hears your sermon and you think, yeah, I'll assume that people are smarter than that, than what I think. Then you hear somebody comes up later and they come to an, the opposite conclusion than what you actually just spent half an hour, 45 minutes telling them. They're the thing. I like the part where you said we should sin a lot. That was good. Uh, What, what? Yeah, it was good. That story about the sin that you, that's good. You not had that? Maybe this is me. I just had had this. The rest of you guys are staring at me. I think,
3: think, so like when somebody came maybe this week and said to you, so I like how we're supposed to go yell at refs and kids. Totally. (laughs) That was not the, it was a negative example. You, but
1: it was about you. Yes, negative example uh, not, is not what we're supposed to do. It was is just that, trying to illustrate that sometimes you become yeah. a fool by acting, by confronting the
0: fool. Right?
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's good. Cool. Well, that's it. That's enlightening. Uh, we have. Enlightening. In- en, Enlightenmenting. <laughs> good. Enlightening, right? We, yeah. Sure. Hey, we, uh, we have a question here. It has to do with the new heaven and the new earth. Ooh. The late, the listener. Do I say the name? Do you guys ever no. say the name? No, no, no. we don't want to hide long time listener. Yeah. Uh, so the question is how does God prevent the reset of the fall in the new heavens and the new earth? Mm. And like, what mm. will free will look like in the new heavens and the new earth? How will this be different than the fall? Or will it happen again in, in the new heavens and new earth? And then will everything start again? Will Jesus have to come again? J.P. Moreland answers this question by saying that it, that in the
1: new heavens and new earth, it's not that you won't be able to sin, which puts him actually at odds with a lot of Christian uh, teachers throughout the ages, okay? Because that's the two options. Will you not be able to sin or you be able not to sin, right? He's, he, he would say, no, you'll be able not to sin. You'll still have freedom and stuff. It's just that you won't you won't sin because sin will look like, in his words, dog poo, to you. That it'll just be so. Ugh. I don't. He biblically he doesn't have that. He he arrives at that conclusion philosophically, and he does. He feels uh, inclined though toward that because he wants people to have libertarian freedom. So others would argue, no, you'll be you'll you won't be able to sin. it's not, it's not, it's not a possibility. Of course, the question is in the garden, you know, Adam and Eve were created with a certain, yeah. Is there going to be something different about us in our heavenly state Hmm. that was, that was not true of Adam and Eve?
2: So do we have any, uh, sincere question. Do we have any texts that are, are utilized for this kind of conversation? Like what, what kind of passages would we be looking at or is it most is it more so just thinking about theology and what other passages have to say
1: yeah and i, mean, Do you I know my question? The, yeah no the, i think the, the, the you arrive at certain conclusions by talking about the finality right you know the way that the scriptures present the new heavens and the earth new earth in such a final place that clearly there doesn't seem to be any future fall or anything like that so we're in the realm of conjecture here when we say well couldn't there be And the answer is, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I think we could argue both ways on it. I I don't think if if we are to take the Bible as the full revelation of what God has given us, at least at this moment, Mm. the best I think we can say is, well, we're not going to. Mm. Whether we're not able to or able not to, we could debate on a philosophical level. So
2: would the – do people speak of the – in salvation, the glorified state of humanity – is that a different state than the original creation? Like, is it, is it an improvement yeah. of the untainted, unfallen,
1: original creation, or is it a Just restoration, a restoration yeah. to the original? Well, I think it's better, and right. the reason I think it's better is because we will know more of God, and mm-hmm. we know more of God because his, uh, his character is known in ways like justice and grace and mercy as a result of what's happened in the world, and so so our understanding of God and His character is greater. We won't be as ignorant as Adam and Eve hmm. were regarding God and His character. Well, and even the, His His Triunity, right? And so J.P. Moreland, that's his argument. Hmm. Is he's trying to say, look, the difference is going to be that because we know more about God, His character, we've gone through the process of seeing, right? That and we won't we won't have the flesh to contend with that we are actually in a better state hmm. than Adam and Eve are not not physically necessarily but but we we see the devastating effects of sin so that's what he means that it right. won't it, w- it will be just ugh so disgusting there's no it won't it won't have its draw or allure anymore and of course you have to start thinking about what what kind of um, what kind of power does Satan and his minions have over the over people in the world in terms of the temptation and that? you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So those sorts of things have... Those will all be done away with as well. So the temptation will be removed is Moreland's argument. So I, found, I always found it kind of compelling in some ways, his viewpoint. Um, hmm. Although if somebody came along and said, no, 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 you won't be able to sin because God will make sure of that. I'd be like, yeah, whatever. That's see,
2: fine. I've always... I mean, I haven't thought about it a lot, but when I have, I've tilted towards the latter simply because I, in the glorified state, if every part of us and our being is glorified, then our will would be glorified. So I don't... I, I, that's why I just assumed we, we wouldn't be able to. Was
1: the will of Adam and Eve, though... Well, this is where... Less, less than yours in the glorified state. See, that's well, where they, I, I lean were, towards were saying were yes. Were they
2: glorified? That's where I would lean towards saying, yes, it's a, it's a more perfect state hmm. than the original See, good us, created I, state. I think,
3: like you were saying, Jeff, before, is that humanity redeemed is a better humanity than a humanity unredeemed. Yeah. So I, I think that's, it just, it gives more glory to Christ. It gives more glory to God. And if we're in glorified bodies and we are adopted sons and daughters because of the blood of Christ... Would you yes, I think? Would, would you would you separate fellowship
1: over this one? No, no. <laughs> why not? Come on, why not? Well, I mean, Craig, you're such a hater. You know you would. I know. You know, deep in your heart, you kind of want to.
2: Seriously, once I get a conviction about it, it doesn't matter if it's. No, I mean, I, I think my first question was like, what are the chief texts people point to about it? And because I can't think of any off the top of my head, I I think if you're looking at a text and there's a clear meaning of it and someone decides that they want to say, no, that's not what that text actually means, I'd be more compelled to say, okay, it would be harder to do yeah. church together. But in these areas, we're just trying to do responsible theology on what has been revealed right. into areas that hasn't been as clearly revealed to us. Right. So I'd say as long as you're not doing something so crazy. So there are
1: boundaries that we would want to establish. Like mm-hmm. in the resurrection, okay, the new heavens, new earth, uh, we will be made perfect. Uh, that the the body of sin will be done away with, so we can we can echo the, echo the scriptures in, in that in those regards, and then we have to figure out philosophically whether or not uh, the other questions. Mm-hmm. But those philosophical answers, I think, you have to hold with. There have to be you have to hold them tenuously, right? You're mm-hmm. not. I'm not overly sure. We're in the area of conjecture here. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's a verse or a passage of scripture that says. Says this,
2: and this is a a point where uh, the good Reverend Dr. Kyle Meeker and I always go back and forth on. Ever since that sermon on rewards, mm-hmm. where he'll talk about the Edwards Jonathan Edwards view of of a depending on the work you do here, you have a greater capacity to understand and appreciate and yep. glorify God in the new state. Because I'm not saying yep because I agree kind of with stuff.
1: Edwards there. I'm saying yep, that's what Kyle says. Yeah. So
2: so Kyle and I have an argument about, and the argument is. To what effect does our future glorification have on our, on every aspect of who we are and our capacity to understand God and worship him? And so I'm saying that as an illustration because Kyle and I both work here and we disagree on that point.
1: So can I ask you guys a question? I know we have other questions, but here's a question that has been plaguing me in the last little while that might be helpful for people. Well, not, I'm going to make a statement. And I want you to respond. Now I'm gonna make my statement as provocatively as I can. No. And I want I know. But I'm just telling you ahead of time that I'm making a provocative statement because Okay, ready? <laughs> yeah. Right. Daniel's
2: gonna go into a safe space in the corner. All right.
1: No. I actually think one of the greatest dangers that exists in the Christian church these days is uh, is is the idea that we we tend to establish as right or wrong what should properly be understood scripturally as disputable matters. Do do you understand? And then we, then we separate over them. Does that make sense? Okay. So I'm there's, there's sin, Mm -hmm. you know, clearly defined by scripture and, and you know uh, righteousness as defined by scripture. But then you have these, these issues like food sacrifice to idols or, you know, that, that sort of stuff that the Bible talks about in Romans 14, for example, that, are, are called disputable matters and you have people uh, who on good Christians on both sides of it. Now this is a practical thing. It's not doctrinal necessarily. It's just practical. So like I'll give you an example in the modern world that I, that, that might arise the ire of some people who are listening. Uh, I've been asked recently, what should, what should good Christians do in response to the transgender movement mm. regarding what pronouns should be used for those, for those folks. So if, if Paul here decides <clears throat> that he wants to go to gen, do gender reassignment, or maybe he just considers himself, don't worry, gen, Carla, it's gender, not happening. gender fluid. And he, he wants to be called Pauline. Do we call Paul Pauline? Pauline. Do we say Pauline her yes. when he's referring to the, or, or do we just, if, if Paul says, I don't, I, I don't conform to either gender. Do we use she instead of he or her? Uh, to, to speak about him or her. Mm. So there are good Christians who, and, and I, I fully agree that, that look, there is a biblically, there's a gender binary that the Bible teaches that God made the male and female. All right. Yeah. Uh, that sin has affected the world in such a way that it is created, uh, that, that because of the fall, we, Mm. it affects our person. And so sometimes people are born in intersex sort of situations, Although, even there, it's not quite as clear-cut as people want to say, well, they're just both. No, they're actually not. There's usually, even in the intersex situation, you have people who lean far toward one than the other in terms of their genitalia. Uh, I I think that biology matters then, and I think that it it is the determining factor regarding one's one's gender. Even if one has gender dysphoria, that is an effect of the fall. Mm And needs to be helped. People, people like that need to be helped, understood, and cared for. That sort of stuff. But in a fallen world, somebody who's got gender dysphoria and has given up to their sinful uh, desires in in those areas has decides now that they want to be called this thing. I, I think some people say, "Well, you should never do that because you're agreeing with them about something that's not real." So, for us to call Paul Pauline is to affirm him in his sin. I think that's a good a good argument, right? On the other hand, man, Christian hospitality sure seems like it should have a part to play here, right? I mean, I, I don't know. People might come and call themselves Rocky and Rocky Bullwinkle or whatever whatever their name is, and I'm going to call them Rocky Bullwinkle at the front end. They they get to determine that in our first meetings. Now, I, does that mean I'm never going to call them to repent for their wrongheadedness regarding? Uh, gender binaries and stuff. No, when I preach the gospel to you, I'm going to call you to repent and believe the gospel. And here's some places where I think that repentance is going to take root. Mm. But when I meet Paul and I spend time with Paul, I don't know, does it matter?
3: Mm.
1: So I I actually think that that, so here's a disputable matter, but honestly, I have heard people freaking out in Mm. the Christian church about this recently. And so the church ends up becoming massively divided over something that's a disputable matter, which is the very point that Paul was trying to Making something like Romans fourteen to say don't split over this sort of stuff. Stop it. Mm. So this is I, I bring this up because of this discussion that we're having about the are we able not to sin or not able to sin in the, in the resurrected. So there are people who, who will establish something philosophically and say that's the way it's gonna be. Mm. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Do you go to a gay person's wedding? <clears throat> I have I have a strong conviction on that. Okay, but that's a conviction that I. Personally, to have, and I'm gonna ask questions to people who have who, who would disagree with me about it. But I, mm. I still think it's a disputable matter. Mm. I don't, I don't know if going, am I going to their if I if by going to their wedding, am I am I go, am I affirming them or am I just being a friend? Am I, do you understand what I mean? Like the, mm. they're just these are, them. These are discussions that need to be had, and again, I think that they're important discussions, and I have lots of good reasons for believing what I do. That I, that I might be able to convince you of it, but at the end of the day. If you decide something differently than I do, I I don't have, Hmm. I I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. I think it's disputable matter. And I think one of the dangers that exists in the church is is the disunity that is caused not by clear doctrinal Hmm. disagreements, but by disputable matters. Hmm. No, I think Hmm.
2: I I would agree. Um, I think people will, I will, uh, mistake a conviction over a topic, over an issue with uh, the (laughs) it's clearly not a disputable matter because I feel so strongly about it. And if I didn't feel so strongly about it, then I would sure it's a disputable thing because I don't have a horse in the race. But it seems that once we feel like we have a good reason to believe what we do, we want to elevate the conversation to say, well, because I have really strong convictions. If you don't view it the same way I do, then obviously we're not both Christian. We can't both love Jesus and have the same have different And I guess we,
3: to clarify what you mean by break fellowship too, like we have separate denominations all over the place that are separated because of disputable things.
1: Yeah, I right? would hope
3: that the denominations
1: that exist though are separating over doctrinal pieces. These are not these are the these are the the outworking yeah, praxis of our of our of our doctrine, which we largely would agree on, hmm. right? So yeah. I, the most people who are asking the question "Should I go to a, Should I go to a gay wedding?" are not asking the question because they think gay weddings are okay. Mm-hmm. They think they they agree that the Bible teaches a certain certain yeah, sexual right. ethic, okay. yeah. and but they're asking the practical question. For my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Of food sacrifice to idols, like I don't know. So, because sacrificing
2: so, food to an idol <laughs> was a sinful thing. So the the issue there was. Do you partake in something that is involved with an explicit right. act of sin or not? Right. right. Like we can sometimes get all churchy and forget that eating food sacrificed to idols was actually a, a crazy cultural if you issue went, they had
1: to work through. If you were part of a trade guild, yeah. right, if, yeah. like your union meeting, you would go and they would have sacrificed food to an idol and they would feed it to you if you have people who are not christian friends okay. and everybody did and mm-hmm. you went to their house for a meal that meal would have been sacrificed to an idol so the question is isn't hey should i should i sacrifice food to idols yeah, exactly. no it's should i eat the food that is sacrificed to idols and this was a real issue mm-hmm. how do we interact then with with an, uh, unbelievers in our in our cultural sphere so this this applies to stuff like okay should I shop at Walmart or should I not? If I have viewpoints regarding justice and should, should I invest in this thing or not? Is it a sin for me to watch the gay pride parade or not? Do, do you understand? Th- these are all, and we might all just be like, oh, well, that's the line. And uh, I'm just saying that these are, again, very good conversations to have. But what ends up happening in Christian circles is that they end up, we end up drawing lines. I'm an American, right? And so this is, I, honestly, if I look over the past year, I actually think there has been more harm done to the Christian church hmm. over people fighting over political disputable matters than, than has been done for a long time in the church. Hmm. So if you're for Trump, like you're for Trump and you think that's a Christian thing to do, and if you're not for, if you're not for Trump, you're like, how could any Christian ever vote for Trump, right? So this is a problem for me to see the people in my nation who, who largely agree on, the, on, the, on the, what's right and wrong are arguing about how that right and wrong ought to be worked out in the world faithfully as Christians. And some are going to choose to work it out in a certain way, and another, others are going to choose to work it out in a different way. Hmm. But, the cre- but, but you know, pitching your tent on that ends up creating so much legalism in the church and it's it really does uh turn the church away from its prime directive of proclaiming the gospel and, and you know and and seeking justice and, the, and it turns us off to infighting over stuff that's just hmm. good to talk about but not something that at the end of the day sh- should divide us
2: where whereas denominations even the language of divide us we would say that even though we we function in different denominations because we, we view how the church should engage in the world or who should lead the church or who should be baptized in the church, we would all still agree that, that we disagree on areas that are still within the realm of Christianity. And so for the most part, entire denominations aren't being written off as saying, you're not Christian. Instead, you're saying, oh, you guys are, you're, you're Presbyterian yeah. Christians. Right. were Anabaptist Christians. Right.
3: Yeah.
1: There, the danger in what I'm saying though is and, and is the move that people make to say well everything's a disputable matter then. Right. Because yeah. we can't know the truth about a thing because it's so hard to understand the Bible and because how do we, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why people would bring that up. Then everything is a disputable matter and so why fight about anything. Mm. That's the ecumenical move that I am saying is not right. Right. Mm that there is such a thing as sin and righteousness the bible does speak clearly on many different matters most of the ones that we're even talking about there are the bible speaks clearly about those it's it's how the application of that is worked out mm-hmm. is where you get into some of the disputable matters right i'm not talking about the doctrine mm-hmm. i'm talking about how the doctrine is it is lived out in specific terms mm-hmm. yeah And it's causing me a lot of frustration recently because it seems like a lot of the, a lot of correspondence that I have with others and stuff is always about these disputable matters. Mm. And and it's almost like Christians don't have a category for them. And Mm. yet the Bible gives you a really good category. They're disputable matters,
3: Mm.
1: Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Your conscience is what determines it. And you shouldn't be engaging in something that's a disputable matter in the presence of someone whose conscience is different than yours. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: What would you say are some other... um,
3: Sorry, um... You know, thinking about that, and when you're talking about the politics and stuff, I've I've heard stories from the yesteryear. I, I mean, I don't know how long ago, but a long time ago, in the last maybe twenty years ago or so, where you would have people in opposite parties. So in in Canada, you have the Conservatives, Liberals, and they would. Um, you might have Christians in both parties, and they would disagree on things that have to do with government, and they would fight uh, with each other. Across the aisle in Parliament, they'd yell at each other and, and say that, you know, give each other reasons for why your opinion's wrong and before they go to the vote or whatever. But then afterwards, they go out for dinner together right, and have fun and, and pray together and whatever. But now, that's not happening. No. Now people are, you have far more of a polarization on issues. Mm. And among, people are among, going, well, he says he's a Christian. But, but. among
1: people in Christ. And, like, yeah. it's, it's gotten to the point... Uh, where if, if you were to say that you were a Trump supporter in the U.S., right, there are certain people who think you're not a Christian. right. And for you to say, if, if others people who think, well, no, I'm, I'm a Hillary Clinton supporter, I'm a Democrat or whatever, there are lots of people who think, I don't know, how can you be a Christian? And I just, honestly, I don't, I don't get that. I don't. So as an American, I'm struggling a great deal to understand why, why that's the case. And it's easy in Canada, too, but I hear it even up here at times, where, although you're not as politically aligned in Canada, right? that one party isn't represented, but I just, again, some, some of it should just be grace and conscience and those sorts of things should be embraced by the church.
0: I was going to ask Jeff, you mentioned, so like same sex wedding would be a disputable matter. Uh, the well, transgender, attending mission. one. Yeah. Attending one, um, yeah. transgenderism, uh, meat sacrifice. What are some other ones that you see that might come up that have been coming up in your spheres? Other disputable matters? Yeah.
1: Well, I'll tell you one of them, I, I listened to uh, uh, this is gonna probably offend people in this room. You want know, okay, ready? Bring it. You might disagree with me on this. All right, Paul, you're gonna
3: disagree with me on this. I'm, I'm, ready, <laughs> I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready for it, okay? This is well, what was the we question? love each other, we're brothers in Christ. Here Sorry, my wife, if you hear a door open on the podcast, it's probably my wife getting the keys. Okay. So here's here's the question that I am that
1: I am, um, here, here's the, here's the question. I, I think that in Christian preaching circles, okay. And just to show you how this pervades almost every area of Christian ministry, I think in Christian preaching circles these days, if you don't conclude a, an explicit presentation of penal substitutionary atonement at the end of your sermon these days, it is seen to be less than a Christian sermon. So I, I think the the reason for this is has to do with a lot of reform teaching and people who are scared to death that you're going to preach moralism. So that every single sermon has to mention penal substitution. It's not. It's not that it doesn't mention Christ it, it, or what he taught. It's. It has to include some reference to penal substitution, in order for it to be. Christian sermon and if it's not it'll be looked down upon by by others as being like well that's not a real sermon and you shouldn't be preaching that and I like I've I've gotten that from people before so even though your ministry as a whole might be like really gospel rich you might be constantly talking about the gospel and bringing the gospel to bear and lots and lots of different things and by the gospel I mean penal substitution okay which I'm not totally equating the two but but if you don't preach one portion of, of that gospel, the penal substitution, in every single sermon you have not communicated, you haven't preached Christ, is language. That's not true. So the judgment of someone as being sub, uh, sub-Christian sub preacher for preaching a wisdom text and not inclu- including it and, and and doing it, right? Even though the wisdom text that you preached just before that uh, you included a gospel presentation that basically says Jesus is the wisdom of God who became that for us because we failed to do so ourselves, right? But you have to include it on everyone. one. This, this is something that goes around the Reformed camp these days that I don't quite understand because the whole book of James doesn't, isn't Christian then. Because there's no penal substitutionary atonement references in James. And I don't, so what is it? There's a reason that Luther hated it because he, he f- followed that kind of line of thinking and why Lutherans today get, criticize it.
3: So wouldn't the, so if we think about when we preach, though, if we think about preaching to a congregation of, I mean, like here at Northview, we've got every service, you know, minimum, uh, Sunday night gathering is aside being with the smaller one, but every service minimum of what? 500 people. Sure. Okay. And we've got a lot of people that come from the community and we don't know what, where they're coming from or, or how often they've come. Or whatever. Say they only come. This is the first time they come, and they come and they sit there and they go. They sit there and they go. Um, they hear the sermon, but they don't hear anything about the good news of being saved from our sin or from the penalty of our sin. They're leaving without hearing the gospel. Correct? They're they're leaving without hearing one aspect of it. Yes. Okay. So what? Because you would agree that part, aspect, of the,
1: part of the part of the gospel. Mm-hmm is that uh, you're creating Christ Jesus to go, to do good works. Yes. Right. There We're are implications saved. in other words. We're saved so to do you, good works. If yeah. you preach the gospel without saying there aren't any implications to it, I, that you haven't really preached it. So, fa- fair. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. So, I'm saying to you that there is a wisdom to including a gospel link in all your gospel, a penal substitutionary link in all your sermons, Mm -hmm. I think to establish that as a rule, which is in my opinion, what's basically happened in reform circles, right? And Tim Keller, God bless him, has, has pushed it that way. And that, that I don't think he would argue. I don't think he would argue that you have to do this in order to be Christian, but that's the feeling that preachers get these days. I mean, I deal with lots and lots of people who get involved in the ministry and they feel like they have to do that in every text. And they'll even use passages in the New Testament, which they misinterpret, to say so, right? on the road to Emmaus, he said, "All of Scripture speaks to me." Yeah, Jesus didn't go through every single verse in the Old Testament and say that. That's not his point. But no, the law—you just the law and the prophets, right? Yeah. So, but but even every verse isn't like that. that that's that's over reading that passage mm-hmm. to justify it. But my my point here is, I am agreeing with you. Mm-hmm. I my problem is that. I think you're saying it's wise to do this. And I think that's true. It -hmm. is wise to do it for you to say though, that it has to be done or it's not really Christian. I'm not saying you saying this, but that's the feeling I've gotten from other, other people in, in, in the circles. Is that, is that the case? Then I, I'm just saying that that's okay. No, no, that's not true. That's not, that's not what the scriptures teach. That viewpoint actually has a hard, has a hard time explaining things like James. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus himself guys, Just read the Gospels. Really, he doesn't include penal substitution a lot in the Gospels. That doesn't mean penal substitution is not true. It is. I'm just saying that when he preaches, when he preach, when Jesus preaches the gospel, it doesn't sound like that. Mm. So in the end, what what I'm saying is that that we we should be careful in evaluating things with extra biblical uh, requirements when the Bible itself doesn't doesn't give those. And this is, and then you end up creating false. false uh, barriers with brothers in Christ who are preaching Christ and maybe your, your com, your comments in them would be man, brother, you need to include more, more penal substitution and gospel for the very reasons you point out, Paul, in your preaching. That's wise. And I think it's helpful, but at the same time to create a barrier with that guy, it just doesn't seem to make sense to me. He's preaching the text. He's committed to good sound theology because he's teaching them to obey all I commanded you, hmm. which is part of the great commission. So,
2: yeah this conversation kind of comes on the scene when you see people asking questions on on videos and having discussions about did Jesus preach the gospel right when that's the question you're asking did Jesus preach the gospel you know you've created a too narrow of a category of what the gospel is for for Jesus to have not preached it because he didn't talk about penal substitution enough but he talked about other things like his his victory over The powers and what it looks like to live as kingdom people. If if your view of the gospel is that narrow, that that question has to be answered. I think that is troubling to me. So I've watched these conversations with guys I really like who say, "Did you actually preach the gospel?" Well,
1: hmm." well, the answer to that question is yes, yes, he did.
2: Let's look at Paul, though.
3: Right, and if we look at the context of the of the letters of the gospel letters, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of these, when you get through it as a as a letter or as a, a testimony of the life of Christ, we have it. We have it there. Right. So, do we have it in everything that Jesus said? No, we don't know that. We don't know if he, how often he said, right. you know, um, that you must believe in me. And we know that he said, "Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand." Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that he predicted that his own death and that he would rise again. Uh, we know what he said, um, so like, at the end, like, go and, and mm-hmm. like you said, the Great Commission, mm-hmm. right? Go and teach all nations everything that I've taught you and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, So when we when we look at the whole context of every gospel, we do see it, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, to, to, to pick it and say, like, oh, he didn't preach it every time. Well, I, I, I don't know. We, d- we don't I'm, know.
1: I'm, I'm suggesting that I, I'm suggesting that you don't have a ton of evidence to suggest that he preached penal substitution every time. No. Um, all, all I'm saying, this is just an illustration for a bunch of guys in a room, and I I tried to make it as applicable to me and to us as I could. There are people listening who are like, "Well, that doesn't really apply to me." Yeah, I'm just saying that in your life, there are how you raise your kids, uh, what kinds of cars you drive. Uh, what kind of house you look, live in, how clean your house is. These are all issues that, that you could bring biblical wisdom to, right? Uh, you should you care for the things you own. You, you can make arguments for all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, the, the outworking of those things and pitching your tent on your outworking and saying, look, that's the only way to do it. This is what ends up happening. This is what legalism builds in churches. And I still think legalism is a huge issue mm. in our churches these days because we don't want to be gracious toward the, toward the application of some of this stuff. That's what I'm saying. It applies to at every level. There's this temptation among us to constantly be doing making rules over disputable matters. Wow.
0: Well. Well, that was a journey friends <laughs> 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 and uh thank you for listening i think that's it we're out of time but uh again thank you for uh sending in your questions if you have any more questions you can email extra at and we will add them to the list and hopefully answer them in due time until then that was coming my name is daniel Markin, <laughs> joined by paul siemens Craig harris and jeff bucknam goodbye